This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, our card for this week is Tom Henke. Tom Henke, because he had a very good season in 1987, was granted a an all-star card, as well as his normal set card. Those are cards number 220 for the regular card and 396 for the all-star card. Okay, great. I see here 220 and 396. I'm pulling those both up on the Jumbotron. But wait a minute, David, I'm getting a a bulletin from our Canadian hotline that there are, that there are two additional 1988 Tops cards for Tom Henke. One of them, the 1988 Tops Revco League Leaders, number 31, which Revco was a drugstore chain based in Ohio that had locations throughout the U.S. and and Canada. And then the 1988 Tops OPG number 220. OPG continuing our investigation into worldwide candy conglomerates. OPG was a Canadian gum trading cards and candy conglomerate that sponsored Tops cards in 1988 and altered the set to include more Canadian players, which means the set was extra feisty. Extra Canadian. If you were at a card show, you would see a card that looked like the Topps card, but it had the OPC logo. Interestingly, you would see that, think that it was Topps, but then you would look at the back of it and it had the fun fact was often written in French and English. So ah! I love it. Love Canada. And this is, I think, our first Blue Jays card. So why did we choose Tom Henke it, beside it being the first Blue Jay and beside him being an all-star? I think he is also our first closer. I don't think we have talked about any closers yet. I was a little bit worried about how we would do this because you don't have a ton of memorable games with a closer. At best, you either have them imploding and losing a game or you have them getting three outs. I remember Tom Hankey because of these cards, particularly this goofy grinning all-star card. (laughs) I mean, he is a large man. He's 6'5", but... They made him look like he has multiple chins. They did a disservice to Tom Hankey. Uh, let's let's pull up this card. I, I agree. Tom Hankey in the All-Star card 396. He's smiling. And then, yeah, his face is creased like the Joker. And his glasses. And this is It's not a flattering picture of, of, of anybody. The camera is not doing him any favors. It's an unfortunate look. I definitely remember those glasses. Like, those are yeah. a very 1988 style. Yeah. So, I, I what I would say, if not from a baseball perspective, if I were to see this picture from the 1980s, I'd say, okay, this is someone cast in Revenge of the Nerds, right? So, big glasses... Not conventionally beautiful, let's say, from a Hollywood perspective. Yeah, he looks and, like a maybe a high school baseball coach. Or shop teacher. But David, you've got listed here 
a big reason that I was excited to to do the show today is that I saw this YouTube video of Tom Hankey as a sex symbol. You said sex symbol question mark, and so I can't wait for us to talk about talk about that about Tom Hankey and in Canadian pop culture as a as a sex symbol. Yes, so not only a sex symbol as a aqua velva pitch man. Yeah. There's also a popular song in Blue Jays lore about Tom Hankey and looking at this man, I'm sure that you are intimidated. His yeah. nickname was Terminator. From that picture, he you know, he looks big, but he also looks friendly. And I think I also learned from looking into Tom that he does seem kind of like a big teddy bear. I like Tom Hankey. He's, <laughs> he's one of my favorites right now. Excellent. Well, to lay out the show for today, we'll do a little more background on Tom Hankey. We're going to talk about closers in general, as you mentioned, since this is our first closer. We're also going to have an RBI baseball segment with Brian, since Tom Hankey is part of the game. So let's sex it up here by going <laughs> to the front of the card of 220. Because we've, we've talked about the front of 396, the all-star card. But 220, Tom Hankey, yeah, tall, tall drink of water. Really just looks like a tall high school kid. Yeah, still wearing the big glasses. Big glasses, empty stadium. But let's go to the Aqua Velvet. From looking at these cards, Matt, would you say we need to get that guy in this pitch for aftershave and we got to make him shirtless? I think that 1980s folks who were who are into guys would have loved Tom Hankey. He is a, he's, he's an unassuming down home, you know, normal guy. And the thought of him being shirtless and a, him being topless in the locker room, I think was going to drive, drive ladies wild. So if you're listening on the podcast and you haven't clicked through to watch the video, I encourage you to do so. Tom Hankey does not, not the best looking guy, but then he gets into the locker room. He's got his shirt off. He puts on the aqua velva and then is mobbed by babes outside of the clubhouse. And it's it, it's convincing to me, David. It, it is. Convincing. I think that it's maybe more convincing because they did not let Tom talk. The woman says, great game, Terminator. And then Tom's response is not audible. So, yeah, they did not get Tom a line. <laughs> Sorry, Tom, but you know they need—they just needed him for his looks. I think we've captured the essence. Wrap it up. I think we've captured the essence, the essence, the manly essence of Tom Hankey. Let's—I think pretty quickly we can get through some of the rest of the background of Tom Hankey. He's from Taos, Missouri. I've heard of Taos, New Mexico. Never heard of Taos, Missouri. A very small town. He grew up in a big family. He had uh, ten siblings. Tom's a family man, and being close to his family was important. His dad would sit on a bucket and catch his pitches as he was a kid, uh, and, and he described lovingly his family relationships with his parents. He went to a junior college that was also in Missouri, not very far from his home, but his coach said that he would struggle 
to get Tom to come to campus. Tom told him he would be there in the fall, and then he didn't show up until January. But, you know, you have this six foot five guy from rural Missouri going to another rural town to go to community college. In college, he also met his wife uh, while she was working at McDonald's. She also went to the same junior college. She was a volleyball player. She was in one of his classes, and he credits her with helping him get through the big leagues as kind of a moral and psychological support for him to kind of push him through. He went to this pro tryout. He impressed, you know, he was 6'5", could throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Of course, the pro scouts are going to eat that up. He was drafted in the 20th round in 1979, drafted again in January of 80, and then drafted a third time by the Rangers in the fourth round, and he finally signed in 1980 with the Texas Rangers. So he's drafted by the Rangers and starts uh, in the minor leagues in Oklahoma City, and we'll put this picture in the show notes. We've got a lot of a lot of great Tom Hanke uh, graphics here in the show this week, but here's Thomas Hanke for the Oklahoma City 89ers. This OKC hat's phenomenal. If you remember the pillbox pirates hat Mm -hmm. the very cylindrical top this one is a blue hat with okc written in the front of it and white piping around it it's a very high hat and tom with his big glasses and this big hat it's a very goofy look he ends up getting his first call up to the rangers in 82 plays in a handful of games that season he pitched in 15 and two-thirds innings and only gave up two runs, right? So he had an ERA for that first season of 1.15. And in 83, the same thing, only a handful of games with a 3.38 ERA. So as a reliever, he's getting a good number of strikeouts and you know having some good appearances in his early seasons. Yes, and he, he did that for three seasons, bouncing back and forth between AAA and the majors. And by 1984, kind of became a more regular player for the Rangers, but had a rough year, a 6.35 ERA in 84. It was unclear how the Rangers planned to use him. I guess this leads to the fun fact and how he left the Rangers. So that this way to the clubhouse is that Tom was selected by the Blue Jays from the Rangers in compensation pool draft. January 24th, 1985, selection awarded for loss of free agent Clifford Johnson to Rangers. This is a very complicated fun fact. If a team lost a free agent, they could select from a list of available players from the team who picked up that free agent. So what ended up happening here is you have Clifford Johnson was picked up as a free agent by the Rangers. The Rangers leave a certain number of players unprotected and the Blue Jays pick them up. Tom was one of those unprotected players. Normally what ends up happening is the team who gets the free agent probably gets the better end of that deal. Because they've signed a big name, the other team has picked some scrubs to throw on the unprotected list. Here you have them throw a 26-year-old Tom Hankey with a little bit of Major League experience. And turns out that the Blue Jays got the better of that. One, because Clifford Johnson was traded back to the Blue Jays the next year. So they got Clifford Johnson back and they got Tom Hankey, the best closer in the history of the Toronto Blue Jays. So Tom gets traded to the Blue Jays and started in AAA Syracuse, 
which leads us to fun fact number two from the card, which is that Tom had a 0.88 ERA and led the International League with 18 saves at Syracuse in 1985 and was selected pitcher of the year. Uh, fantastic fun fact. I think I feel like that's very fun. Yes, and it leads to his nickname, the Terminator. In that season at Syracuse, he and another pitcher, John Cerruti, and we'll get to John Cerruti in another episode, R.I.P. John Cerruti, they went to see a movie in Syracuse, The Terminator. And they came out of the movie, and John Cerruti, having seen Tom Hankey terminating opposing batters, started calling him The Terminator. Later that season, Cerruti and some other guys from AAA were called up to the Blue Jays, and they made that nickname stick, and it stuck with Tom through his time in Toronto, leading to a song. Did you listen to this one? No. <laughs> you might hate this one. Instead of laying down matters, he was laying down bricks. But then one day the telephone did Hello? It was Bobby Cox, long distance call. Said, I heard you can really throw the ball. Come on up north. We can use a kid like you. Well, first thing you know, he's 7 and 0. King of the town, he's a local hero. No, Bobby I already hate it. <laughs> For the listener at home, Matt is shaking his head. Uh, David, I hate this. It starts out almost like a Johnny Cash, a Johnny Cash ripoff, like uh, Cocaine Blues or something. See, so yeah, Charlie's Daniels Band, that's what I'm thinking of. I can't support this. It grew on me. This came from an album that was made in 1991, the Blue Jays album, and there are a ton of Blue Jays songs, so we're going to need to revisit Blue Jays music in future episodes. That makes a lot of sense to me, David. Let's move forward in time. As we talked about, Tom was in Syracuse, and he got called up in 1985 at the end of the season to the Blue Jays. He did not allow a run in his first 11 appearances with the Blue Jays. Wow. So a good start to his season. He played in 28 games and had 13 saves and a 2.03 ERA in 40 innings. This season was so impressive that he actually ended up getting some votes for Rookie of the Year, even though he had already played in three seasons. Finished, I think, seventh in Rookie of the Year voting. He also got some MVP votes which is kind of ridiculous for a guy who played in 28 games. But he was started to become an important piece of this Blue Jays team. That 85 Blue Jays team made the playoffs. They won 99 games, and they took the Kansas City Royals to seven games in the ALCS. Tom was credited with two of those three Blue Jays wins. 1985, a great season for, for Tom and the Blue Jays. Uh, heading into 1986... This is really where he is a mainstay in the Blue Jays' bullpen. 118 strikeouts in 91 innings and 27 saves, which set a Blue Jays' record. So this is a very good year for Tom. This was not quite as good a year as 85 for the Blue Jays, but Tom establishing himself as the closer and as a pretty dominant closer with those strikeout numbers. Let's go now to 87. This is a big year for Tom. We've already alluded to the fact that he becomes an all-star. We talked about this a little bit on the Matt Noakes episode, that in 1987 there was a battle between the Blue Jays and the Detroit Tigers for the AL East title. And 
The Blue Jays had some success. It was also a big year for Toronto generally. The biggest film in the world in 1987 was filmed in Toronto. I don't know what that would be. It was Three Men and a Baby. Oh, yes. I think Tom Hankey could have been one of the three men. I think that he could not have filled in for Tom Selleck, but I think that he could have replaced Steve Gutenberg. Yes. I don't know who the third man is. Ted Danson? (laughs) Uh, Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Tom Hankey could have filled in for any of those guys. He could have also just been the fourth man, fourth of four men with a baby. He could have been the baby. Three men, a baby, three men and a little hanky. <laughs> keeping it. We're keeping it in. <laughs> that is going to make it. That'll make the cut. But unfortunately for the Blue Jays, they, the title. Unlike, title. unlike three men and a baby, the Blue Jays had only limited success. They were not the biggest thing in baseball like Three Men and a Baby was the biggest thing in film in 1987. They they had the AL MVP in George Bell. They also had Jimmy Key, who led the American League in ERA. And Tom Hankey led the American League with 34 saves, so he broke his own team record. And he made an all-star game. And that led to this great card and terrible picture. <laughs> Much like his 86 season, he was pretty dominant. He had a 128 strikeouts in 94 innings and a 2.49 ERA. He was really good, a really good closer for this very good Blue Jays team. Unfortunately, he also was part of their late season collapse. In late September, the Blue Jays had a four-game series with the Tigers. They won the first three games and took a three-and-a-half game lead going into the final seven games of the season. Unfortunately, the Blue Jays went on to lose the last seven games of the season and lose the AL East by two games. And unfortunately for Henke, he did not pitch in any of those last seven games, so he didn't even really have a chance to to change it. There was a very good article that came out of this, and the author of this article, he called up Tom, and Tom just invited him down to his hometown of Taos, Missouri, and they just hung out and went hunting And Tom kind of talked about how he felt coming back home and his kind of role as a closer. You you can't have thin skin or else you will blow a lot of games. And knowing that the best closers are successful nine out of ten times, but you're going to fail one out of ten times. It it was an interesting insight into Tom Hankey, and it gave me a a lot of respect for Tom Hankey. I, I, I end up liking him a lot after my research in this episode. So David, 87, not the greatest season for the Blue Jays, but with that all-star nod, Hanky has a chance to enter the pantheon of greats, which is he has a chance to be included in RBI baseball. We will go to the RBI corner with Brian. Okay, we're back with the RBI Corner, and welcome back, Brian. So this week we're talking about Tom Henke. Bring us up to speed on Tom Henke from RBI Baseball. Tom Henke in RBI Baseball is on one of the two all-star teams in the game. As we've discussed previously, RBI Baseball has the four playoff teams from 1986 and the four playoff teams from 1987. 
Then there are two all-star teams, an NL team and an AL team, that are made up of players who aren't on those other eight teams. No player is in RBI baseball twice. I guess there are a couple players where this could be a possibility. You think Kevin Mitchell, who was on the 86 Mets, but then also the 87 Giants. But that's not the case where the all-star teams take players from those teams that are otherwise in the game. Interestingly, not everybody who's actually in the game was an all-star. For instance, Paul Molitor wasn't an all-star in either 86 or 87. The same with Jimmy Key. Tom Hankey was, however. He was an all-star, I believe, in 1987. Tom Hankey is a reliever on the AL All-Stars. The AL, all of the teams in RBI Baseball have uh, four pitchers, two starters, and two relievers. The AL All-Star team is a bit unique in that they have one lefty starter, one righty starter, one lefty reliever, one righty reliever, and that makes them better when it comes to matching up with teams. Tom Hankey is one of the hardest throwers in RBI Baseball. He has the third fastest fastball in the game behind uh, 1988 Topps favorite Juan Berenguer, and Nolan Ryan. His fastball is tied with Roger Clemens and Scott Gerelts. Uh, he has decent curve. It goes okay to his right, less so to his left. One of the difficult things, though, is RBI baseball, this is only 1988, so we didn't have the best technology available, and you don't get characteristics of individual players' looks as part of their RBI baseball character. So Tom Hankey in RBI baseball, there are no glasses, and uh, that's a real shame. I don't even know how you could tell it was him, then. I guess you just have to rely on his fastball. He's definitely worth using for an inning or two. He especially matches up well against teams with a lot of right-handed batters. Just like in real life, the the same side matchups tend to favor the pitchers in RBI baseball. That makes him particularly dangerous against San Francisco, Minnesota, uh, but especially Boston in the National League All-Stars. The National League All-Stars, they have a pretty right-handed lineup. So if you're going into a game and you've got a stretch of righties coming up or you're playing against a team that has a lot of righties on it, you should definitely consider using Tom Hankey in RBI baseball. Brian, is it cheap to play with the all-star teams? I think there are some people who believe that it is. You have two all-star teams and eight regular teams, and if you're playing somebody for the first time, it's generally not customary to use one of the all-star teams. It seems like a shortcut. It might be a window into someone's character that's a bit disturbing if the second they're given the opportunity. Is this an unwritten rule? or are you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit of an unwritten rule. Yeah, and I mean, it, it does seem cheap to me that somebody would use a team with such greats as Al Padrique and John Cruck. Now, the irony of this is that the all-star teams aren't necessarily much better than the regular teams. Uh, the AL team in one-line online ranking ranked fifth. Both all-star teams have a bit of a stars and scrubs aspect to their roster, there are some great players and some players with really gaudy home run totals. I think of you know, George Bell and Mark McGuire and Andre Dawson and the big numbers they put up during this era. But they also have some huge holes in their lineup. And uh, sometimes there's some pitching depth issues, not so much on AL, but maybe on the NL side. So yeah, it's probably considered a bit cheap to use the all-star teams. On the other team, if someone, on the other hand, if someone does it, maybe the joke is on them if you're playing with a team like Detroit or Boston. Excellent. Well, it's great to get the that in-depth kind of knowledge about Tom Hankey, but then also to get into the morals of, of RBI baseball and the game. So thank you again, Brian, for your insight. Thanks again for joining us. Okay, David. So we saw Hankey as a top closer in RBI baseball. Why don't we run through the rest of his career and his role as a closer? The Blue Jays remained pretty competitive for the rest of Tom's time in Toronto. 
He stayed there until 1992 as their closer. They made the playoffs in 1989 and 1991, and Tom was still their closer and still a consistent closer. By the time 1992 came around, Tom was in the last year of his contract. There were some guys still around from the earlier 87 team. Jimmy Key, Dave Steeb were still there, and a few position players were left on the team. That 1992 Blue Jays team made it to the World Series. And so after all of those years of Tom being on competitive but not but teams that were unable to put it all together, this Blue Jays team in 1992 finished 96 and 66. They won the ALCS over the Oakland A's, four games to two. And Tom was a key part of that. He pitched in all four games that the Blue Jays won in the ALCS against the A's. He got three saves in that ALCS and didn't allow a run. In the World Series against the Braves, he pitched in three games and got saves in games two and four. Unfortunately, he blew a save in game six. He gave up a run in the ninth inning, but the Blue Jays came back and won that game in extra innings to win the World Series. Tom leaves the Blue Jays at the end of 1992, a World Series champ, the best closer in Blue Jays history, the all-time save leader with 217, and uh, that last game for the Blue Jays, unfortunately, he blew the save in it, but he won a World Series, so leaves on top. The Terminator on top. So after winning the World Series, he is a free agent. He goes back to Texas is on the Rangers for two seasons in 1993 and 1994. Looks like he thought about retirement at that time, but then Tony La Russa calls him and he ends up signing with the Cardinals for 1995. Tom had some back issues and some nagging back injuries. In the 1994 strike-shortened season, he had talked to his wife about maybe retiring afterwards, but Tony La Russa called him and Got him to sign with St. Louis, which was close to home for him. His home was still in Taos, Missouri. And he ended up having maybe the best season of his career in 1995 as a 37-year-old closer. He made his second All-Star game. He had a 1.82 ERA and saved 36 of 38 attempts. And in that same season, he also hit 300 career saves, which used to be a big number. He, at the time that he retired, he was fifth all-time with 311 saves. He ended up retiring after that season. The Cardinals tried to talk him into one more, but he decided it wasn't worth it. And he probably gave up some millions of dollars to spend more time with his family. A, a good choice. You got to love a guy going out on top at age 37. In interviews, he talked about like he could have just wrote it out for a couple more years, maybe taken the money, gotten some save opportunities, and instead he just decided to go go home, spend some time with his family. I love it. I love it. Well, David, before we get into where Tom is now and close the book on Tom, I wanted to raise a question for closers. Wins and losses aren't really the right stat because they're only coming in for an inning or two, and they could get a win in the game you know, just because after blowing a lead, the, their team hits a home run in the bottom of the ninth and wins the game, and they get a win. But closers just have a... It's a strange role anyway. The, the save, the stats, the, the even concept of a save is, just seems like a really strange thing. So what's your position on closers? Looking back at Tom Hankey's career, 
It's difficult to compare closers through eras. To have a guy who was so dominant for the Blue Jays and then go even going into his later career to figure out how he stacks up against other closers, we also have to look at the way that closers have been used throughout the years. The save was a stat invented in 1959 and only really adopted in 1969 by MLB. It's supposed to be used as a way to identify a guy who comes in and shuts down a game. But in actuality, you sometimes end up having a guy who can pitch three innings, in one case in a 30-3 to victory, a guy got a save because he went three innings. That doesn't really compare to a guy who comes in in the ninth inning with a man on base and a tying run at the plate and gets three outs in a row. It's really difficult to compare closers. So Tom Hankey, when he retired, had 311 saves. That was an amazing number at that time in 1995. Since then, 20 people have passed that number. And so now Tom is 25th in saves. Well, you have a guy who didn't really start his closing career until he was 27 years old, missed a lot of opportunities because a setup man got saves in in multi-inning situations. Attempting to compare Tom Hankey to current closers, to Mariano Rivera, to current greats and, and recent greats is really difficult. And it's unfortunate because Tom was around right as the role of the closer changed where it changed from being goose gossage, being brought into shutdown situations, regardless of the inning. If you had a tie game and a man on base, you brought in goose gossage because he would shut it down. That switched to Dennis Eckersley coming in only in the ninth inning and only pitching one inning. And I think that baseball didn't have a good way of quantifying that and didn't have a good way of of talking about the relative quality of closers. In 1987, you had Steve Bedrosian, a closer who largely is forgotten, winning a Cy Young because he got 40 saves. 40 saves is relatively pedestrian now. I just think it's it's a difficult thing to, to quantify the, the relative quality of closers. And I thought Tom Hankey was a great player. Tom Hankey was a dominant player. When we look at his career at the end of this, I'll try to make a case. But I don't. it's difficult to make a case for a guy to get into the Hall of Fame as just a closer. We'll see if I can try. Well, we'll we'll get to that. So, but what I what I would say in looking at it is that, like with many sports, uh, agents and contracts and stats combine because you need a. And this happens in all different sports. You have agents and players trying to make their best case for why a player is more valuable, and they'll go with the stats that they've got. And you could definitely see an agent saying, well, my, my guys, he's a relief pitcher, so he's not going to have as many innings pitched. He's not going to have the raw numbers of the nominal level of strikeouts, the nominal level of wins, because he's not going to have as many innings pitched. And so they come up with something, and this is in any any sport would have that. We, we in football, we'd have seen this with the quarterback rating, right? So before there was a quarterback rating, we'd say, "How? Who is the best quarterback?" You'd say, "Well, it's the one with the most passing yards." It's like, okay, well, passing yards, but you could pass for 500 yards, but if you lose the game or if you have five interceptions and lose the game, like, what does it matter? So they come up with better stats. So 
you know, whip, so walks and hits, you know, per innings pitched, probably a better statistic for all pitchers because it's combining the bad things that they do and measuring that over a, a, a an even period of time. Saves, you could see, created by an agent probably to help his relief pitcher get, uh, <laughs> you know, to get a better contract. But overall, that that rating, like you said, it's it can easily be gamed. It's it can feel like it's meaningless, and and so like now that we have things like WAR, on base plus slugging percentage, walks and hits per innings pitched, you know, have better ways to try to compare performance uh, across across teams. Some of those metrics that you just talked about, you know, Tom Hankey's WHIP for his career was one point oh nine two. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and he had multiple seasons where it was below one. Yeah, because so anybody, if you if you watch baseball and say, well, what's whip? What does that mean? It's so, well, on average, each inning, how many walks and hits does he give up? Less than one? You're like, oh, man. Well, yeah, if you only get one walk or hit in an inning, it's almost impossible to score a run. So, boy, that's pretty good as a pitcher. That's a good inning if you only give up one of those two things. Unless it's a home run, they didn't score. <laughs> Tom Hankey's legacy is that he was the best closer in Blue Jays history. He was probably the second best closer of the 1980s after Dennis Eckersley. His strikeouts per nine innings were better than Nolan Ryan. In his time with the Blue Jays, he struck out 10.3 batters per nine innings. For his career, it was over nine per nine innings, so over, a, over one strikeout per inning. He was dominant. In wins above replacement, during his Blue Jays career— Tom Hankey ranked 50th among pitchers by war. The other 49 players ahead of him all pitched more innings than he did. So you have a guy who, like, by some modern metrics, but when you get into those um, cumulative statistics, it's more difficult to make the argument for him to for him to be in the Hall of Fame, even though we can recognize that he was a great. So let's talk about the Hall of Fame. He made it into the Canadian Hall of Fame. Which, yeah, so he's so he's yet another Hall of Famer in the nineteen eighty eight Tops podcast, correct? That is correct. I you know, I think that we've only talked about Burt Blylevin as far as Cooperstown, but the Canadian Hall of Fame we have had a couple. Uh, and Tom Hankey is in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, unfortunately the saves are a, a watered down stat that isn't necessarily reflective of Hall of Fame standards right now. And because the role of the closer has changed so much, it makes Tom's statistics look a little bit more pedestrian. You know, I I think that he should be considered one of the great relief pitchers of all time. I think that wraps him up. I mean, I think that wraps up the stats and wraps up the career. So where is Tom Hankey now? After his retirement, Tom went back to living in Taos, Missouri, He's still married to his wife, Kathy, who he met at McDonald's in college. They had four children. Tom spends a lot of his time raising money for something called the Special Learning Center. He was also at one point on the board of directors for the Missouri Department of Mental Health. This is related to one of his daughters, Amanda, was born with Down syndrome. And this led him to helping out at the Special Learning Center. And so he spends a lot of time with his family and helping Amanda, who is now an adult. But still, he has a, a connection with the Special Learning Center. He does the Tom Hankey Golf Classic and gets baseball stars and 
baseball luminaries and other sports figures to come to this golf classic and raises money for the Special Learning Center, which offers early intervention for children with developmental disabilities. Yeah, th- there will include a link to this. With some of these folks, when I'm Googling around, I'm always expecting to turn a corner and then we end up in Lenny Dykstra territory. <laughs> <laughs> and with Tom Hankey, it was like I, I turned a corner and found a, a picture of Tom getting hugs from <laughs> children with developmental disabilities because of the help that Tom has given to these kids. You know, he, he's talked about his daughter and the, the difficulties that, that she's had with her developmental disability and said that it helped him as a pitcher because he kind of knew that whatever day he was having at the ballpark was that was a minor difficulty. And so it seems like helping kids is is a mission for him. So found a good article about Amanda, who has some uh, athletic abilities of her own. She is a big fan of the local basketball team, and she made a halftime shot and won 100 bucks at a recent <laughs> high school basketball game. And it was kind of great to read about this local basketball team and how excited they were for Amanda that she uh, won that 100 bucks. But, you know, Tom Hankey, every t- corner that I turned, he seemed like a a pleasant and good man. So I, nobody well, better ruin cannot... that for me. Don't ruin that for me. Tom Hankey is a good man. <laughs> I think we can, in these uncertain times, Dave, I think the one thing we can count on is Tom Hankey being a nice guy, a Canadian Hall of Famer, a Blue Jays relief pitcher legend, and international sex symbol, Tom Hankey, a great story. So thank you, David. Uh, thank you, Brian, for the RBI report. And thank you to you at home. So if you're an Aqua Velva man or an Aqua Velva woman. <laughs> if you're a Tom Hankey man. <laughs> <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. Get us on Twitter. It's Tops1988. We will see you next time.